Chapter Twenty Five of Miss Ingelis by Gertrude Hall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Twenty Five. On the Friday evening, distinguished as Grace's last evening, a goodly number of relatives and friends came to say goodbye, and the occasion, aided by Teresa's social spirit and well-supplied cupboards, took on, as did so often these informal, overcome gatherings, the aspect of a party. The effulgent yellow pearls were all in service. Music flew from the piano, at which confident amateurs succeeded one another. Around the glass doors the older men smoked. The older women sat in the gallery and overlooked the fun on the floor, where things became livelier and livelier as the evening wore on someone having suggested a cakewalk, for which someone else put up a prize, after which there was a varied exhibition of home talent, a good deal of extreme and foolish caricature, but some good comedy, too, amid a chorus of laughter. The scene was to Grace like something on the stage. Already the cleft that there should be on the morrow seemed to lie between it and her, a hard excitement burned her nerves and dulled her to all but the importance of a few preeminent things to appear as usual to observe closely and not seem to be doing so to watch the time to watch for the chance they had all been in their way polite and friendly the relatives and acquaintances had spoken of missing her but saved demonstrations of regret, making light of the departure in view of the not-distant return. She had taken it all with a smile of acceptance. She made a slightly somber figure tonight among the young people, being in her traveling dress, while they were in their muslins and light silks. It was understood from this that her trunk was ready for an early start on the next day. No question but she was charming in the bronze silk poplin intended for her honeymoon planned in the period when she aspired to be an enchantress and believed in the legitimate efficacy of creamy lace and gilt buckles and artful contrasts of color a point of rose to enliven brown no question but she was charming the brightness of her eyes the bright constancy of her smile called away attention to-night from the interesting touch of haggardness that more than one of the family had lately remarked upon she had not been willing to join in the agitations on the floor to one person she had said that it was too warm that her dress was too thick for it that her shoes were too heavy to another that she was tired and must try to be fresh for the next day she sat with mrs alonzo finally and looked down at the scene as if from a theatre-box mrs lonzo was a copious and not important talker one could abstract one's mind without danger when she was once launched if her subject failed to stimulate her second son had returned from his wedding journey and the mother was giving the story of his affair from the beginning her own first opinion of the young lady her early objections Len's knowledge of his own mind, her gradual coming round, the beatific ending. 
her steady trickle lulled one like the pearl of a brook clarence came in the midst of it and held out his hand bluffly to grace inviting her to walk with him for the cake it was the second time she shook her head i should appear too much a fool one is the worst fool isn't one for not knowing how to make a fool of oneself amusingly oh come on grace no go on you clarence and make an amusing fool of yourself with another girl after a moment in which her attention had been pointedly devoted to mrs lonzo he left she had in truth established herself at mrs lonzo's side because of red's effort to waylay her corner her get a moment's private audience from her it was among her clearest purposes not to allow him to accomplish this they had been conducting themselves since the final break like civilized persons keeping up the right manner before the others bandying as occasion rose their old style of jest touched with bitterness on his side on hers with irony and on both sides an odd tranquillity the excitement that possessed her left little room for any feeling but watchfulness and resolve only one hint had she had in three days that her heart lived on the night before the wind preceding a thunder-shower had moaned round the house and as she lay in the dark nervous from long wakefulness a thought had sprung from that region where we are not the conscious masters it's my soul wailing for its lost prince and then from that same region or its red overcome soul searching for me her flesh had crept a wave of desire had swept over her and she had been near the agony of tears again when a gleam of sanity had cut down like a flashing sword between her lost prince and that red overcome of whom she was coldly afraid like the unhappy lady affianced to the mysterious mr fox in the old tale after she had espied the little livid severed hand with its load of stolen rings things of the night of the complex and confused nature of man in whom the schism between heart and brain can be wide between soul and flesh deep the return of day had mended it from that region where we are the conscious masters softness had been expelled and now she sat beside mrs alonzo with a deep light in her eye signalizing her sense of being mistress of the situation oh so much more than anybody dreamed teresa joined them and fell in talking with carrie about the plans for the new house discussing the merits of diverse hardwoods different kinds of finish grace withdrew her attention altogether to penetrate herself with the thought that this was her last evening in all her life among these people and to say good-bye to them in her mind rebecca and harvey were the ones at the moment parading before the judges like peacocks like carmen arm in arm with her toreador on their way to the bull-ring sita was at the piano strumming over and over as if for a reel one of the few pieces she knew by heart and producing each time the same false bass chord zip and bobby chased each other with the irrepressible cries of childhood as if they had been in the schoolyard during a recess and their mother did not notice a noise to which she was accustomed 
They were now and then ordered, in a casual way, by a cousin or an aunt to shut up, but ineffectively. A veil of kindness rose between Grace's eyes and these people, clutched by the sense, tragic in youth, that she should never, never see them again. She desired, with that disposition of hers, to put her little inward house in order, to do them greater justice, to leave them, in any case, with wishes of gentle goodwill. She had said that they were different from her, warp and wolf, but human beings are not different to that extent from one another. She thought it a pity that she could not have been patient, magnanimous, but was it not only because she was going away that she was willing to see them in softer colors? For nothing in the world, she reminded herself, would she have remained. No matter. Let them prosper, be happy, and the light that they needed, as everybody needs light, come to them in its good time. From her place she got a glimmer of the redness of the den, where a large, crimson-shaded banquet lamp near the door made vivid the crimson of the carpet. Six years ago three brothers had stood, not laughing much at that exact moment, around a fourth brother stretched on the floor. Now a glimpse could be caught of Miles' widow seated at a little table in the drawing-room, thoughtfully placing one card beside the other in a game of solitaire, or was she, in the inextinguishable love of life, telling her own fortune? Black Overcome and Lonzo were tranquilly smoking their cigars outside in the cool of the evening. Red Overcome, who had rejected Grace's advice to find himself a different partner, sat on the opposite side of the oval, oblivious enough, and full strong, in case of memory, against its importunity. He was talking to the new daughter-in-law, the one of whom Carrie had just been telling. The young wife, who very likely was shy, had excused herself from taking part in the fun below, on the ground of weariness. From the distance, Grace got a view of Red, in perspective, as a whole, like a picture. He was thinner. He had lost his fine color. Poor Claire. Be his niece's dreadful characterizations of him true or not, who could say that he was without sensibility? And how good to look at, in that manifest, manly way. Such a successful specimen of the genus man, as he was, well-shaped head, well-shaped everything, engaging, completely, even nobly a man, to the eye. Until you had come to understand that his outlook on the opportunities of life was identical with that of beasts, whose way it is to get what they want, if they can get it, and no necessity felt for justification. With this knowledge you were enabled to see, as she was doing for the first time, to see stamped on him physically, marking his brow, a limitation, a default. His elbow rested on the railing, and his hand stroked his mustache, that masterful hand, in whose exhibitions of strength she had delighted, that hand so admirably formed by nature to grasp and hold on. Uncle Red doesn't let go, and if it looks as if he were letting go, look out. Then particularly he isn't, repeated Rebecca's voice in her brain. Grace rose to her feet like one in a dream. It was the moment. Teresa, 
deep in conversation with Carrie, red absorbed in the youngest Mrs. Overcome, and not looking her way, everybody engrossed and gay. With quiet gait, though her knees trembled, she with inconspicuous presence glided behind the chairs of Teresa and Carrie, finished, without looking to the right or left, the half-circle of the gallery, and passed out through the door to the entrance hall, wide open, like all the doors to-night in the rotunda. Quite empty, the hall, God be praised, and dim under the single lamp of colored glass. So empty and quiet, and everything upstairs so quiet, too, it almost seemed as if she might safely venture to creep to her room and get a few things. She debated the point for half a minute, but, at a tiny sound from somewhere near, decided against it, and took a hurried step or two nearer the front door. Then her heart quite failed, because of the approaching muffled sound of feet. She stood still, to judge whether they were near enough already to make it too late. They were. She quietly turned the newel post, and pretended that she had been starting up the stairs. The door of Red's room opened so suddenly, one might say it was torn open. Red stepped into the hall. Her foot was on the bottom stair. She choked down her despair and smiled. At last, he said, I've been trying all evening to get a word with you. I'm very tired, she offered as an explanation of her withdrawal from the lights and noises. But you mustn't go quite yet. With a stride, he so placed himself as to shut off her way upstairs. She as quickly drew beyond arm's length from him, and was that much nearer the room she had just left. Grace, do the thing that I beg of you to do. I pray, I entreat. Come back with me, and let them know we've changed our minds, or some circumstance has risen to change our plans, and we're not leaving tomorrow morning after all. Be my good girl, Grace, and tell them. Then let all this be as if it hadn't been. Without quite being humble, his voice, lowered to a whisper, was supplicating. His earnestness was compelling. But it did not get past the guard of one who, in wisdom and solemn forethought, had stopped her ears against all siren songs. She looked at him as if such thickness of wit as he persistently showed made her hopeless, without making her unkind. You don't seem to understand. I don't seem able to make you. Grace, I will do anything you say, anything you want me to. If ever a miserable offender loved a girl and wanted her love, just in this one matter, listen to me and do as I ask you. Give up going tomorrow, and you will have no reason to repent. You will have a lamb in me. You will have anything you want. But Clarence, the point is, I can't live near you. I can't breathe any longer. You oughtn't to have lied to me, you see. In an atmosphere of lies, I can't breathe. That's the whole of it. I can't help it. I am so made. I can't live. You talk as if everybody didn't lie. Everybody lies. You two-days-old kitten. I rather less than other men. Not everybody. My father never lied. Don't expect me to be like your father. Men in love are a different animal. I had lived thirty years, Grace, before knowing you. Won't you remember it and hold the hope that your ideas will percolate 
gradually, and I shall know finally just what you do want? If you knew, Clarence, how much I want to be just to you, to be fair, harsh and final judgments are a cruel folly, always, and I myself so blind, so full of faults. But this is what I apparently can't make you understand, that in order to be just, in order to do anything that is right and real, I must first be away from you. You must let me go. Here we are, back again at the old turn in the road, the old struggle. For God's sake, Grace, get a little sense. Get a little forbearance. Get this thing into the right light. This evening, if you would only realize it, decides our whole lives, we can still be as happy as we meant to be perfectly happy little one but if you persist and our lives are ruined as they will be i warn you mine as well as yours yours as well as mine it will be your fault your fault entirely your blood be on your own head so be it clarence damnation grace how can you be so stubborn put you in a mortar and grind you with a pestle you'd go on saying the same thing don't, I tell you, don't put up this front of blank wall to me. I'm talking for your good. Don't get me where I don't care what I do. Don't turn me into a devil. I think, I really think it would be better if we returned among the others. There can be no use in our talking together, she said, showing every feminine sign of offense and fright. No, wait. I can't, she cried back from the door to the bright gallery. With his imperious instinct to have his way, he sprang to stop her, but she was running outright around the curve of the gallery. He could have caught up with her, doubtless, by putting forth his athletic agility, but having their last race in memory, he was held back by shame at being seen behaving like an idiot for the second time before the same ironical audience. He repented an instant later, and started after all, but seeing her descend to the floor he again lost impetus and stood still watching her as she rushed under the impression apparently that he was at her heels she looked rather silly he thought fleeing unpursued and wondered how soon she would discover her mistake and let up and blush for herself at the foot of the stairs he thought she surely would look back she did by a swift bird-like turn of her head over her shoulder her glance swept round till it located him, standing still, hands in pockets, savagely disdainful witness of her futility. He thought she would then have stopped short, laughed, got her breath, and to lend herself countenance, done some such girlish thing as to hide her face in the bowl of roses on the piano, or bend it over the pile of music, pretending to look for a favorite piece. But she continued more slowly now and deliberately in her retreat going with an unaccustomed stiff stateliness her back the tilt of her head as she passed to one side of the staircase and threaded her way amid the chairs grouped about the glass door had a look of successful contumacy which called forth the response in him of a thrill of fire spreading to the end of every nerve two words stored in what forgotten pigeonhole of memory leapt from his lips and rang after her already in the dark outside the house hasta manana 
End of chapter 25